Great to see you today. It's good to kind of get things slowly getting back to a normal, so it's good. We welcome those who are joining us by way of live stream along with the Gerald campus. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn to the book of Job. We're going to begin a new series. We're going to go through the book of Job. Uh, if you're not sure where Job is, just open your Bible to the very middle and you should be in Psalms and go left one book, all right, and you're, you're in Job, all right? So anyway, great to have you. We'll have the scripture up on the screen. We're going to kind of do an introduction this morning. We're going to look at the first 12 verses of chapter 1. Just some uh, facts, some information. First of all, Job is perhaps the oldest book of the Bible, even though obviously it comes somewhere in the middles where they put it. Many believe it was actually the first book to be written down. So that's kind of interesting to think about. There's just so much in the book of Job. Second of all, Job reminds us that Satan spends time in heaven every single day. A lot of times we believe that when Satan was booted out of heaven years ago and fell, that somehow he didn't have access to heaven. The truth is the Bible teaches every day, day and night, day and night, day and night, he comes before God and he accuses us before God day and night. That's why in Revelation 12, one day he's going to be booted out of heaven for good. And the Bible says there in Revelation 12, the accuser of our brethren, devil, Satan, who accused them before God day and night has been cast out. And so the Bible says, by the way, there in Revelation 12, all of heaven rejoiced when he was finally booted out for the last time. I mean, can you imagine how annoying that would be? Day and night, day and night, Satan is up there accusing us before God. I mean, all of heaven gets pretty well tired of it. But here we have a rare chance in the book of Job to see one of those scenes where Satan is appearing before God and talking about one of his children. And so again, it gives us that rare glimpse into something that's going on every day that we sometimes don't think about. Job is a unique book of the Bible. There are more scientific facts in the book of Job than any other book, and we're going to look at some of those as we go through. Also, the book of Job reveals more facts about creation than even Genesis. And so again, we're going to find a lot of interesting things about the book of Job. There are 330 questions about in the book of Job. If you want to be sure, count them, all right? So that may be a homework assignment to go through, count all the questions. About 330. To give you an idea, I think in the book of Psalms, there's about 160 questions total. And so in this book of 42 chapters, a little over 300 questions. And so there are a lot of questions. How many of you know that when you're going through suffering, there's a lot of questions? There really are a lot of questions, and a lot of those questions have to do with why. And, and maybe you haven't ever said that, but I know many times I've asked God, why? Why me? Why suffering? Why my family? Why now? And I've had people tell me, Pastor, you should never, ever ask God why. Even Jesus on the cross asked why. I think it's okay to ask why. Now, I don't think we should ever be bitter at God, but I think we're a little dishonest if we never question why. And so in the book of Job, there's a big, huge why, why suffering. And so it is something that we ask. And I learned a long time ago, by the way, I never sit down with a family who's hurting 
who have maybe lost a child or something, I never sit down and try to explain what's going on because I don't know. I just have to sit with them and love on them and just be there for them. And so I just want to just remind all of us, we're never going to understand everything that's going on. So I think it's okay to ask why. The book of Job also challenges us with this question. Is God enough? If everything were stripped away from our life, would we still be okay because we had a relationship with God? And Job is the ultimate extreme example of everything being stripped away and yet Job realizing that God is enough. Now again, I don't think God takes us all to the depth that he took Job. But he's an example for us to know that if Job could go through everything he went through and still not be bitter at God, I believe we too can suffer and still hold on to God. Is God enough in our life? That's a question that I think the book of Job challenges us with. We're not sure who wrote the book of Job. Uh, some people will speculate Job wrote it. Some have said Moses, Solomon, uh, different people. We really don't know who wrote the book of Job. But Job was a real person. He's mentioned in the book of Ezekiel, along with Noah and Daniel. It lists him as a real person. And in the book of James in the New Testament, James speaks about the patience or the endurance of Job. And certainly he is a example of patience and endurance. By the way, uh, James 5.11, if you get a chance to read the whole verse, it ends by saying that by Job's life, we see that God is compassionate and merciful. So one of the things we're going to learn in the book of Job, when we're going through a time of suffering, one of the things we discover is the compassion of God and the mercy of God. And so there are so many amazing lessons to be learned in the book of Job. Now, if I were just being honest in the flesh, I would rather preach about all the mountaintop experiences in the life. That is cool, man. I love it when goosebumps are on top of goosebumps and we can talk about everything being good. But the book of Job takes us down into the valley, into the depth of of suffering, the ultimate example of God stripping away everything in somebody's life, and yet Job realizing that God is still enough. And so again, we're going to discover again God's compassion and God's mercy in the book of Job. The date of the book, and even though we're not certain, many scholars believe that Job lived about the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so if you remember, Abraham, I believe, is first mentioned in the Bible around Genesis 11. So if you think back, Job goes all the way back, goes a long, long way back in history, all right? The reason we believe that he lived about that time period, first of all, he lived a long life. The Bible says in the last chapter of Job that he lived 140 years after the events of the book of Job. Now, some believe that that statement says he lived to be 140. Others believe, and I kind of believe it says 140 years after all the tragedy of the book of Job. So perhaps he lived to be 180, 90 years old, I'm not sure. I think Abraham lived to be 175, Isaac 180. So he would be right in that time period where people lived a long life, all right? His wealth was measured in terms of livestock rather than silver or gold. So back then, the livestock kind of determined how wealthy you were. Like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Job functioned as the priest of his family. He would offer sacrifices 
on behalf of his children. So again, that would fit into that patriarchal period there. Number four, Job uses the common patriarch name for God, which is Shaddai, which means the Almighty. So again, a lot of things seem to connect Job to the time of Abraham. Some believe he lived a little before Abraham, maybe after Abraham, we're not really sure. In the book of Job, there's no reference to Israel, the exodus from Egypt, the Mosaic law, or the tabernacle. So a lot of things are left out. Again, that's why we believe it was written earlier. So again, very old book. There's so much. There's just a wealth of information in the book of Job. But when you hear the book of Job, can you just holler out, what's the one word that comes to mind when you hear the book of Job? Suffering, patience, both those kind of go together. And so again, there are great lessons on how do we endure suffering? How do we have patience in the middle of a valley or a storm in life? And so Job, I kind of, when I think about the book of Job, I think about an onion. Now, I'm not, I don't cook a lot with onions, but I mean, when you peel back an onion, if it's a strong onion, the more you peel back, the more you cry. And the book of Job, as we peel back layers in his life, we find ourselves being very compassionate toward Job. Again, we find ourselves sad. And so God begins to peel back layers in our life. And as we peel back those layers, again, the question is, is God enough? If God were to remove everything from your life, and Job is the extreme. By the way, I don't think this is a process everyone has to go through. But Job went through it so we don't have to go to that quite of an extreme. But God is showing us through the life of Job, you can absolutely be wiped out of everything and still know that God is enough. That's a great place to be. And so you might find yourself as we're going through Job shedding a tear when you see the sorrow and the heartache as you peel back those layers in Job's life. So let's look at, begin with the introduction here to the book of Job. Again, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. So let's read together. You're welcome to read along, both here and online if you're watching. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. I love that, Uz. I probably watched too much Wizard of Oz. Some of you aren't that spiritual. I mean, you're probably thinking that's, that's very immature. But anyway... I love that. He's a land, man from the land of Uz. By the way, we're not sure where Uz is. It's somewhere beyond the Euphrates River, I think it mentions. Uh, some believe today, if you were looking at today a map, maybe somewhere in southern Jordan is where the land of Uz would be. His name was Job, and the Bible describes him as someone who is blameless and upright, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now, when the Bible says he's blameless, it's not saying he was perfect because there are no perfect people. That word blameless there means mature. So he had a, a walk with God. He was very mature in his walk with God. He was someone that had that relationship with God and he shunned evil. That's a really good compliment coming from God. So we find that Job is incredibly blessed. You know, how many of you love a rags to riches story? We kind of all love that story. This is actually a riches to rags story. All right, kind of a different story, but then it goes back to riches at the end of the book, and we're going to look at that. All right, verse 2, seven sons and three daughters were born to him. So he had a very full family. All right, ten children would be enough to keep you busy. All right, verse 3, 
And again, this describes his wealth. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. He had 11,000 pets. We've had two pets before. That's all I want. That's enough to keep me busy. 11,000 animals. I mean, this guy was, again, incredibly blessed. Now, in the back of the human mind, by the way, in the human thinking, we often think to ourselves, a person who has a lot is certainly a person in a right relationship with God. A person that's kind of walking away from God and rebelling against God, they're going to struggle. Now, that could be true that you could struggle if you walk away from God. But the reality is you can be rich and humble just as well as you can be poor and humble, right? I often tell people I would just as soon be rich and humble as poor and humble. And so Job was someone who had a lot, but yet he had an incredible relationship with God. And God blessed him mightily, all right? And so the Bible says his sons would go and feast at their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Everybody say, aw. Now here's, how many of you know growing up, you, how many of you have ever got into a kind of a fight with your siblings? In Jesus' name, of course, we're all Christians. But sometimes kids can be kind of rough on each other. But have you ever noticed that once we grow up, once we get out of the house, all of a sudden, we find ourselves in love with our siblings. And so this is kind of a neat story of, of Job's family and how close they were. When the brothers had a get-together, they invited the, the sisters. All right? So there was a closeness with his children, which I think rippled down from Job and his wife. All right? When the days of feasting had run their course, Job would rise early and offer burnt offerings. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned, and have cursed God in their hearts, and thus he did regularly. So here Job, acting as a priest for his family, was concerned that maybe somehow in all of their, their doings they might have sinned against God, and he wanted to make sure that his children had a right relationship with God. I cannot imagine any Christian parent that does not have that heart for their children to make sure that their children have a right relationship with God. Now, we obviously, we don't offer up sacrifices. Jesus made that sacrifice. But back in that day, again, he would act as a priest and make sure they were taken care of. And now in the book of Job, it's very unique. The scene shifts from earth to heaven. Now, this is something that, again, it's hard to wrap our mind around. And Job, by the way, did not know what was going on in heaven while he was on earth. But we have the privilege of looking back and knowing that while he's on earth, Satan is appearing before God. You know, we have a tendency of believing that what we see is more real than the spirit realm. But I want to tell you it's just the opposite. What we see is temporary. What we don't see is eternal. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, after Paul talked about all the suffering that he had gone through, and you say, how could Paul go through all that suffering? He says in the last verse of 2 Corinthians 4, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, the things which are unseen are eternal. I want to tell you this morning when you got up and all the craziness on a Sunday morning, how many of you thought this morning that Satan is in the throne room of heaven and they, he may have been talking with God about you? 
Isn't it kind of interesting that here we have that rare glimpse of not only what's going on in earth, but at the same time, what's going on in heaven. And again, what's going on in heaven is more real than what's going on down here. I remember Elisha back in 2 Kings chapter 6. Remember they got up one day and the Syrian army had surrounded Elisha. And one of the servants of Elisha got up and looked out and saw the Syrian army around him and came running to Elisha. Elisha, Elisha, we're in big trouble. Elisha is totally relaxed. He says to the young servant, they that are with us are greater than they that are with them. What? It, I mean, they were surrounded by the Syrian army. And Elisha prayed, said, God, would you open the eyes of this servant? And he looked up and he could see the Syrian army, but above them he could see horses and chariots of fire. All of a sudden, I believe he had great faith. I just want to remind you today, as crazy as it is out there in our country, it's crazy. Greater are they that are with us than they that are with the world. But if you get your eyes on everything out here, you, your stress level will definitely go up. And so now the scene shifts to heaven where Satan is appearing before God. How often does he do it? Day and night, day and night, day and night, until Revelation 12. One day he's going to ultimately be booted out, but day and night he appears before God to accuse us before God. So let's look at it. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The term sons of God, I believe, is a reference to angels. And here Satan also is appearing before God. He's accountable to God. And so every day, every night, he appears before God. And so the Lord said to Satan, the Lord initiated the conversation, from where do you come from? And notice what Satan says. He says, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking forth on it. Satan constantly, Satan is not like God, he's not omnipresent, he is not everywhere at the same time, but Satan constantly is going to and fro throughout the earth. I think about 1 Peter 5, 8, that says, Your adversary the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And so God says, what have you been up to? Oh, I've been going to and fro throughout the whole earth. Every day, when you take a vacation, he doesn't. Every day, Satan is out to destroy your family. He's out to destroy us. Every day, he's walking to and fro on the earth, along with all his army of demons, and they're out to destroy, all right? A question here, and this is something I'm going to give you some homework. I'm going to give you a quiz. How many of you came today saying, I hope I get a homework assignment? All right, so here's your homework assignment. How many times does Satan speak in the Bible? Now, we know that he prompted people to do this, but how many times are the actual words of Satan recorded in the Bible? That's your homework, all right? You guys don't look too excited about it. That's okay, that's okay. If, if you're not sure, just grab Bob Caldwell on the way out. He can help you out. I'm sure Bob knows that. But it's kind of interesting that here in the book of Job, we have actual words recorded by Satan. And it's pretty rare, really, in the Bible to have actual words recorded uh, by Satan, all right? So the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And so it was God that brought up to Satan 
Have you ever considered my servant Job? I mean, he is upright, he's mature, he fears me, he shuns evil. I mean, he was just bragging on Job. Wouldn't it have been pretty cool this morning on Sunday morning, October 4th, if God would have been saying to Satan, have you ever considered my, my servant Michael there? Man, that guy loves me. He shuns evil. I mean, God just bragging on Job. Now that's going on. Job is unaware of it. I mean, he's unaware of it, but while he's living on earth, up in heaven, they're discussing Job. All right? So see what happens. So Satan answers, and again, we find the words of Satan. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands, and the possessions have increased. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So Satan talking to God, yeah, I, I see where you blessed him. But the reason he's, he's doing that is because you put a hedge around him and you haven't let me touch him. But you touch him. You take everything away. You strip away everything in his life and he will curse you to your face. I want to be honest. I've seen people who have had things stripped away from their life and got angry at God. I've seen it. There's times in my life that I've gone through suffering, that I've knocked on the door of heaven. I've screamed at the door of heaven. I've cried out, why? There's times that I've actually thought about walking away for a while. And here's what Satan believes. Satan cannot believe that you can love God just for God. Satan believes there's no way somebody would truly love God just by the fact of who God is. And so Satan said to God, you take away everything in his life, he will curse you to your face. Because Satan cannot believe that again, that God would be enough in our life if everything was stripped away. So God says to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so next week, we're going to look at how Satan begins to strip away everything from Job's life. But he could not do anything unless God gave him permission because he was under the authority of God. Now, Job was unaware of that, of what was going on, but we have the privilege of seeing what was going on in heaven. And by the way, when God says, Satan, you can take away anything except his person, how many of you know he took away everything? Satan absolutely hates you. And if it were not for the grace of God, we'd all be destroyed. But thank God that he allows these hedges and he doesn't permit Satan to literally wipe us out. Because when God gives him permission, I mean the next verse, he begins to wipe out literally everything from Job's life. The book of Job is about, again, if things were stripped away from our life, If we're going through suffering, can we still love God when everything else is out of of sorts? I believe the answer is yes. And in the book of Job, again, going back to James 5.11, I love how James says that in the book of Job, we find God's compassion and God's mercy. You know, again, I would rather preach on mountaintop experiences in the Bible. But it's almost like God's saying, if you can learn to experience my compassion and my mercy in times of suffering, that's an incredible gift. 
You know, there's a tie. How many of you noticed the tie up here? I actually, I put it on earlier today. I thought about wearing it. But every time I wear it, almost every time I wear it, Brenda will say, that doesn't match. But how many of you know when you're colorblind, it all looks good? And then I thought about having David wear it. I think it would match David's shirt, don't you? But I wear this tie, and even though it doesn't usually match, there's a reason this tie has been really special to me over the years. And oftentimes, if I do a funeral of a young person, a baby, an infant, a young person, I will wear this tie whether it matches or not. The reason this tie is pretty special to me is it was, it was designed. If you look at the design, it just has some words on there. Laugh, hope, strength, peace, love, believe. And you say to me, well, any child could design this. And it was designed by a child. On the back, it says it was designed by a young lady named Holly. And Holly was nine years old, and she had a terminal illness and didn't have long to live. And she designed this tie. And I always think to myself, if a young lady, nine years old, who has a terminal illness and doesn't have long to live, could write words like laugh, hope, strength, peace, love, believe. I believe in the middle of suffering, in the middle of a struggle, if we can experience God's compassion and God's mercy, it's such an incredible gift. I'm I'm just being honest. I'm going to pray to get out of the storm. I'm going to pray to get on the mountaintop. But sometimes God chooses for us to suffer, to go through a season of suffering so that we can experience that he is enough. This Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning, I just want you to to pray for me. This Tuesday, I have a funeral at 10 o'clock. It's a young man, 29 years old who was killed in a car accident. And maybe somebody here knows that, that person. Name is Cody, I believe. I see shaking hand. His wife is Tiffany, has three young children. His wife is pregnant with their fourth child. I'm going to reach out to Tiffany before Tuesday. And some would say, why in the world... And there's something that draws me to these kind of funerals. I know it's really, really crazy. When I see, and I can't even wrap my mind around the suffering of these three young children that have lost their dad, that Tiffany, the name of his wife, who is pregnant with their fourth child, I can't even wrap my mind around the suffering that they're going through, and they've got to be asking why. But one thing I know for sure is that God is so faithful. God is so faithful. And one of the things, I I never try to explain what's going on. And one of the verses I used to use in my early days, I don't use it anymore, is Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good. I want to tell you, that's not a very good verse when you've lost a child. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just sit with someone and just love on them as they're going through a struggle. But here's what I have found, that God is so faithful. Even though I don't understand why, I can't explain what's going on, I can be the love, the compassion, and the mercy of God and just love on Tiffany and love on her children. I have found God to be so faithful at times when I can't understand.
I may wear the tie Tuesday. I may bring it along. I'm not sure, but I always am reminded that God is faithful. And so the book of Job, again, reminds us that like an onion, God is going to begin to peel back layers in Job's life. And just when you think it couldn't get any worse, it gets worse. By the way, don't ever, ever say it could never get worse. It could always get worse. So God is going to begin to peel back the layers in Job's life. And again, ultimately the question comes, is God enough? And I believe that he is. While we're here on earth and while we're kind of struggling through all the storms, I want you to know that in heaven right now, there's an there's a accountability going on between Satan and God. And so as we go through the book of Job, and you may say, well, man, I'm not sure I want to go through Job. It seems depressing. I think I'm going to stay home for three weeks. I understand. But you might discover the book of Job as one of the most incredible gifts ever. That if we can learn that in the middle of suffering, we can truly experience God's grace, God's mercy, and God's compassion. It may be the greatest gift you've ever received from God. So in a weird sort of way, I'm excited about going through Job. I will be preaching from Job on Tuesday morning. But who, who else could better identify with the loss of a loved one, a young loved one, than Job? So I will be quoting Job on Tuesday morning and using the life and the story of Job to just somehow love on this family and try to encourage them. And I know here today and those who are watching, and even though we don't often say, I know there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of struggles. I, I don't know who it was that said originally that life is made up of storms. We're either in one, we're headed for one, or we just came out of one. And 24 hours in between would be a relief. And I've spent a lot of my early life trying to get out of the storms. But I'm discovering that if I can find God in the middle of my storm, and if I can love on God and say to God, God, you're enough. I still want out of the storm. I'm going to pray to get out of the storm. But God, if you choose to let me go through the storm, I just want you to know that you're enough. That's such an incredible place to be. And I believe God can smile at Satan. I told you so, that I am enough. We only look at the here and now, but God is looking at the eternal. What an opportunity we have to tell Satan that God is enough. If everything were to be stripped away from our life, he's enough. Let's stand together. I want you, if you will, if you're at the Gerald campus, if you're watching by way of video. I just want those of you who are here, I just want you to kind of do a 360 and just look around you. I want us to take a minute and just pray for each other. You know, learning to suffer, I know I hear people that preach the health and the wellness and there's no suffering, and I'm just going to tell you that's not biblical. Even the Bible says Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. 
when Paul got saved in Acts chapter 9, remember he sent Ananias, and Ananias was, God said to Ananias, I'm going to show Saul how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. We resist suffering in the human realm. We resist it. And I do. I don't want to go through suffering. I would rather choose the mountaintop. Just here to tell you that sometimes through suffering, we can experience a part of God that we can never experience any other way. So pray for Tiffany for Tuesday when I have the service. I want to take a minute and just pray for each other if we can. Bob's going to close here in just a minute. I love you guys. I'm looking forward to going through the book of Job. And by the way, the real issue of Job is not even about suffering. I think it's a great, great lesson, but if really, if the book of Job was only about suffering and about staying true to God, it could end after three chapters. But there's 42 chapters. The real issue of Job, as he begins to peel back the layers of onions, the real issue of Job comes out in later chapters, and we're going to talk about it. Let me pray. Let's take a moment. And I just want you to pray. I want you to think of a face that you just saw, somebody who was around you. Would you just pray that God would wrap his arms around that person and love on them? I love how Paul prayed three times that his thorn would be removed. And I'm always going to pray for the thorn to be removed, always. But God finally said to him, my grace is sufficient. In this particular case, you're going to keep the thorn. So God may get you out of your storm. God may allow you to travel in your storm. Would you just let God know that his grace is enough? That no matter what life brings, that he is enough in your life. Father, I just want to take a moment and just pray for those who are here, those who are watching. God, I just pray that we would experience your compassion, your mercy, that you would wrap your arms around us and just remind us how much you love us. And God, I know that nothing comes our way that hasn't, first of all, come through you. And we just want to thank you, Lord, for your love. I just pray if you'd fill us with your spirit. God, use each of us as we go out into the mission field. May the world see your compassion and your mercy flowing through our life to others who are hurting. I pray they could feel your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, two things as we get ready to close. Number one, as many of you know, we have a, a project going on, a, a great home, a mobile home that we've been working on for a great uh, mom and her, her baby boy. And, uh, and you guys have given incredibly, incredibly generous toward that. We're having a special work day this Saturday, the 10th of October. Uh, I would love as many people as possible. It doesn't matter what skill level you have, you are welcome and you will be needed. Uh, many of you have already uh, put in so much time there and so much generosity. But Josh and or Kayla, Kayla right now is standing right back uh, behind these uh, last row of pews. And if you think you're available, if you would stop by and just let her know so she can jot down how many they think might be coming on Saturday. Again, that's this coming Saturday. Um, uh, several people have ideas as well with furnishings and stuff like that. 
I, I want to ask you all, because you're so incredibly generous, and this church is over, always over loves, if that's possible, but I mean, I'm just telling you, in such an incredible way, run through Josh or Kayla with that, because, you know, we don't need five couches, right? And we want to make sure you're being a good steward, and we're being a good steward on our end as well. And so, but Josh and Kayla now are both there in the back, if you can be, uh, if you can help this Saturday, October 10th. The other thing I want to mention today is our kickoff for Operation Christmas Child. As you all know, Franklin Graham, Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child will be sending thousands of boxes to thousands of children uh, during the Christmas season. Many of these boxes taking the gospel into countries that we cannot get into, and it's an incredible opportunity. I also believe it's a very unique opportunity for our current season of COVID. This is an opportunity that you can take your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, uh, whoever you might want to go with uh, to the Dollar Tree. Grab what you need to grab for the box and, uh, and pack that box. Pray over around it to your kitchen table. You might want to do one box. You might want to do five boxes. But, but just pray over those because who knows who's going to end up opening that box and hearing the gospel. And so here's what I want you to know. In your bulletin, there's an insert, and that insert tells us how we can pack a box. Now, this looks pretty cumbersome, but the reason why we need to do that, you don't have to put everything in there. It won't fit, okay? But I want you to know there's a, a couple things that are a must, like uh, getting the label and making sure you put it on the appropriate spot of the box. It's very self-explanatory. The labels are out there with the boxes as well. Um, you can also uh, see the most important things like school supplies and hygiene items. Even you can see what not to pack because uh, Franklin Graham and their organization realize there are certain things that just don't ship well or don't make it across customs. So pay attention to that. I know you will. And then there's the wow gifts, okay? Kind of the stuff that the kid might even think is all the more cool. And on the flip side of this sheet is a, a, a group according to gender and according to age uh, whatever age you end up praying to and saying, I, I want to send something to a three-year-old girl. I want to send something to a 14-year-old boy. Whatever it may be, obviously those, uh, those things would change a little bit. So we have ideas for each of those that you can put in the box. The box the church is making available, they are back in the lobby. If you go out to the main front door, they're just right on the right-hand side. You can literally pick up a box or multiple boxes today. Uh, we know if you pick up multiple, that means you'll be committed to be a good steward and bring those back in complete. There's also a $9 check that goes in those as well. That takes care of the shipping. It's on this list also. But it also provides a couple of tools that will be put in that box in that child's heart language, sharing the gospel. So it's an exciting time. I believe it's a pretty COVID-free opportunity, okay, for us to be safe and still do worldwide missions. Pray about it. Just follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If he asks you to do this, be a part of it. If he says do something else, be a part of that. But thanks for always being so uh, incredible with that. So we are going to sing our way out of here. God bless you all. I hope you have a great, great week. When we all get to heaven, one day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. that news.